Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. I'm Andrea, and by tuning in, you'll hear both encouraging and entertaining stories of faith from my circle of friends, Christian authors, and experts in the fitness industry. For listening today, I'd like to offer one month free to my daily workout program with code EmbracePodcast at EmbraceMovement.com. That's EmbraceMVMNT.com. Hey everybody at Embrace Movement, Andrea here. Today we have on an exciting guest. We have Autumn Miles. She's the founder of Autumn Miles Ministries, an organization devoted to spiritually challenging the way that women think. She's been on Fox and CBN, and I find her so inspirational. Go ahead and say <laughs> hi, Autumn. Hey guys, thank you so much, Andrea, for having me on. I'm so excited to be on and to chat with you today. Mm-hmm. So our first thing we're going to talk about is you know, I saw that you got to go on the news and talk about COVID-19 and actually be a voice of prayer over our country during that time. How did you even approach, you know, that honor, but also like, what were you thinking when you're planning those prayers? I mean, well, I wrote a book called Gangster Prayer. So that came out in 2019. And it's really interesting, um, Andrea, just to give you a backstory. When we were launching that book in July of 2019, my entire staff was fasting and praying, and we did it for 40 days for a prayer revival in the country. Um, wow. I saw that that was just such a weak point in the church. You know, the, uh, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And, um, you know, I'll, I've been to hundreds of churches at this point, And sometimes I go in and they don't even pray. <laughs> so I, I, that was just such a heavy burden on my heart. So we did, we fasted and prayed in 2019 for 40 days. And I will tell you, I, I believe God has answered that prayer of just a prayer revival, seeking the power of the almighty. We don't understand what we can engage when we just simply act. And so when COVID came into the picture, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. We were going to um, fast and pray. And um, we did. I think we had 7,000 people fast and pray with us, something like that, which is unbelievable. Um, But I also, you know, being on this side of COVID-19 and seeing like the vaccines and just seeing what, what has actually happened and the therapeutics and stuff like that that they talk about. Um, I really, truly believe that God did answer our prayers and, um, it was quite an honor. I, I've, um, I, I did lots, a lot of press on the fasting and praying and, um, I count it one of the greatest privileges of my life to talk to my God, um, every single day. And I wanted to show the world and whatever audience was watching, listen, um, you just don't have to be faced with a tragedy to pray like COVID. You can actually do this on a daily basis and see miracles happen in your life. So it was quite an honor. And um, I mean, it's what I do. It's what I love to do. <laughs> that is so awesome. It seems like you just give like life to it. Like, like you get to see this picture of prayer that maybe people don't see, like they, they take Mm. their own personal prayer and they think of it as like, maybe a little boring or maybe like a little bit, um, hopeless, maybe even I would venture to say, maybe not Mm. even believing fully in the power of prayer or who they're talking to. And yet you make it seem like what an honor we get to sit down with God and he hears us Mm. and it's beautiful. 
You know, I think that's, that's why I wrote the book Gangster Prayer, because I was tired of that, that type of a mindset. You know, you go, I had that mindset where I'm praying, but is God really going to answer? And why would I pray if he's just going to do what he wants anyway? And I feel like I'm not even going to pray this because God will probably say no. Um, and then like, you know, why I would have just wasted my time. And um, about 20 years ago, I literally overhauled my prayer life. And I um, started to build my prayer life on a foundation of faith, not doubt. If you actually look at the church, and that, like, I'm talking big C church, not a specific church, but big C church, and you talk to believers, they will tell you, um, you know, I doubt God will, rather than I believe that he wants to. The majority of people uh, Satan really capitalizes on that doubt weapon that he has. And so um, I overhauled my prayer life 20 years ago, and I dared to believe God in some of the stupidest little things ever, but he came through. And um, when I saw what he would do for me, I knew that that availability was to all believers. And so I wrote a book. It's pretty, pretty in your face. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely don't sugarcoat it because I think we have enough of that. And, um, yeah, it was, it is, I, I count it one of the greatest privileges. And because of prayer, we have seen miracles happen on a regular basis in our life. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, doesn't it make you want to just shout from the mountaintops when you see a miracle? You're like, guys, yes. it's still happening. Still. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's why I do what I do because I feel like we must be we first of all if we understood who God actually wants to be for us we would not be able to shut up about him if mm -hmm. we, we actually understood that he is so intimately engaged with our lives with our problems with our doubts with our fears with our frustrations with our mistakes if we actually understood how available he is to us and capitalize on that availability, we wouldn't be able to shut up about him. I mean, it's really a perspective shift that uh, people that aren't excited about the Lord needs to have because he is right there, ready, willing to, to step in and to help. You guys, I love how Autumn said that she, her book is a little bit in your face, but can you guys imagine with all this personality that she could contain it from her writing? I mean, no, 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 no. I, I, I was researching her and looking her up. I saw her platinum blonde hair and I was like, all right, y'all, I gotta be wearing lipstick for this interview. I gotta put on a headband. Like we gotta match. Like I'm Mrs. Like bland, like, oh, mom background, mom shirt. And I'm like, this girl shows up and she you won't ever forget her. <laughs> I, I love it. You guys should definitely get her book gangster prayer. Um, you know, maybe at some point we could do like a giveaway or something for our ladies, but you know what? I'm just pumped for you know, to be able to, for you to share all that, you know, you guys have come out with recently. I know you guys put out a ton of content content too. Um, an article I saw that she wrote, which I was very interested in. It was about the salvation and the change from death to life. Um, and the celebration of Kanye West, you know, there's lots of different people in the limelight, like Justin Bieber and Beckett cook that they, they kind of get a lot of heat for it, but you had a different perspective. Can you share a little bit about that with us? I mean, I think when I wrote that article, he was getting a lot of criticism and like, yes. is this real? Is this not? Is this whatever? And I just, I don't have time for that. Listen, Or is it possible? Yeah. Don't forget yeah. about that one. I was like, yes. come on. <laughs> yes. I just, I just feel 
like we, we are so, it's, you know, criticism is so easy. Everyone can criticize people, but we are not the judge. And I really wanted to um, just celebrate the fact that there, there are people in the limelight. There are celebrities that are coming to Christ. We as the church need to applaud them and we need to support them. We don't need, yeah, you don't agree with his lifestyle or everything that he says or everything he does, you know, uh, fine, whatever. But we can agree that God saved us from our sins, that Jesus saved us from our sins. So let, let's get together on that. I mean, I love it. I Justin Bieber, I follow him on, on Instagram and I, and he is so bold about Jesus. And I think, oh Lord, look at the megaphone he has for your kingdom. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm all about it. I, I, I absolutely love to see it. Did you see that he was on, you know, SNL or whatever it was. And he did a performance and like, literally the backdrop was like a black, cool, creepy background. It was like so hip. And then there was literally like a cross with, that was lit up behind I him. Didn't like, see it. No. It, you got to look it up. I mean, he I'll was doing the song holy, you know, um, with the rapper, you know, chance the rapper. And, you know, I, I was like, wait, this is allowed like secular yeah. people are willing to watch this. And he's like, just being himself. I'm like, that's what yeah. I wish that, you know, Christians could do well is like, kind of just, just be like, Hey, I'm just putting this out here and I'm going to just be myself. And I want to share this with you guys. Um, you know, but of course he can do that with the platform he has. Everyone's like, I'm all around whatever he's doing, you know, but it's, it was a really cool thing. I'm excited for them too. I, you know, I don't like that, you know, he got so much criticism and people had so much doubt surrounding it. It was almost like some Christians, instead of going, Hey, um, we will be known for our love for one another. Instead it was like, you can't sit with us. Mm. You know, why, why does that vibe come in? I don't know. I'm very anti that vibe. I'm, I'm actually going to be in my fourth book, which is interesting. I, we, we, of course, haven't announced it or anything like that yet. I'm working on it right now. But um, this is a problem. This is why when you talk about evangelical Christians, everyone's like, oh, and like gives us all the side eye, you know, because we haven't done a good job representing Jesus. We've done a great job representing religion, but we've not done a good job representing Jesus. And as I read the gospels, and I have many times, I see him going directly into situations that were questionable. Did he get criticism every single time? Yes, he got Jesus got criticism. And yet a life was, ch was changed on the other side of that um, uh, um, circumstance where he was sitting with whoever it was that was controversial. The church has to be back, get back to following what Jesus did. Okay. Not these unwritten traditions, unwritten religion, uh, unwritten rules. Um, we have got to get back to what Jesus actually did, studying Jesus's life rather than um, religion and imposing religion into our, our, you know, daily life. I, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people are like, oh, you're a Christian. Well, then you believe this, that, that, that. I've met a ton of people and they, they've met me. And I, that's the first thing I talk about. I always say, praise the Lord, Jesus, you know, whatever. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. I'll be like, pray for me. I just told a woman this morning, I was like, pray for me. And she's like, I'll pray for you if you pray for me. I don't know if she's a believer, but that always enters into my conversation. And a lot of times people will be like, oh, you're a believer. And I'm like, yes, I am. And I'm here to represent Jesus, not religion, you know? 
So we've got to get back to that. Um, and I really do believe that God, especially out of uh, last year and everything that we went through, pruned the church back to mm-hmm. look at mm-hmm. what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? What do we need to fix? What do we need to lose? And what do we need? How, how do we need to walk in this new season that we're in? I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. No, that's beautiful. I, I mean, you're taking the, you know, religious boring part out and you're going, Hey, come on, there's life. He says that we are, you know, that life is put into us and that we are going to find an abundance in him. And that, you know, the more we seek him, the more we're going to get the reward, which is ultimately more of God, right? That's a great reward to to get. (laughs) We should be celebrating that. Yeah. I I love that you just are, you know, yourself, you go to a coffee shop, pray for me. And they're like, okay, that conversation (laughs) is rare. You know, I live in New York city. I've lived here for five years and, you know, I'm constantly like aware, like, you know, if I, although I like to share my faith with my friends and people who who care to stand it, I guess, but if I wear like a a jean jacket hat, we've got one of those at the embrace movement shop, if you guys are interested, but it has a white cross on it. And it's just a, just a, you know, baseball hat. And, um, and if I wear it anywhere, I'm constantly aware that people look at it and it's very funny because they're not looking at it like, Hey, cool. Where'd you get that? You know, they're like, interesting. Why would anyone leave their house like this? Like it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to be yourself sometimes. I do think I love New York, by the way. I love, I do a lot of work in New York, but I, um, I, one thing that I've learned about evangelism is nobody can argue with your story. And I think we, we approach evangelism, uh, culturally, maybe even the wrong way, you know, that you're, go, you're, you're, you're this, you're that, you know, we're pointing out people's faults and the way I evangelize is listen, this is what happened to me. I was in an abusive marriage and Jesus met me there and Amen. no one can argue with that. And, um, I think we even need to look at evangelism, maybe a little bit different, uh, we need to be doing a lot of relational evangelism rather than <laughs> rules evangelism. Relational. Now, can you share more about, you know, I always have people define their terms on here. You know, if I have someone that's a really big on apologetics or theology and I have them come on here and we're all into it, I'm like, define your terms, you know? So relational evangelism. Now, does that mean like building relationships with, mm-hmm. um, with your, with people and caring for them and just, instead of just the message? It's not being weird. I think we have made evangelism so weird at times. Look at Jesus. What did he do? He went and he looked at Zacchaeus and he said, come on down. I'm going to come to your house for dinner. That's not weird. We all eat, you know, and he went and he just sat down and had a conversation with him. It's not being weird. I think people are intimidated by evangelism because, um, you know, they think, do I know the Roman road? Do I know this? Do I know that? Listen, you don't have to know all of those things. You need to know your story, what Jesus did for you and share it with other people. Um, Mm. And that's what I do. I got a lash girl. I got a nail guy. I got hair people. I got I got them all. And let me tell you, it's in those chairs and in those situations where I'm like, let's do what Jesus did in my life this week. It's not weird. It comes out a normal conversation. And I think if we did that a little bit more, it would kind of knock off some of that intimidation. It actually kind of is a way that you can share your faith without actually talking about what you believe in, but just sharing what Jesus did in your life actually makes you look like a stronger believer than even a believer that has to explain things, right? Yeah. I mean, I I can explain it, but I just found like people, people are very, of course I can explain it. You know, that's what I do, but I, but I, but I love people. 
And I don't want anything to be, a. if I know that someone is a devout atheist, I'm not going to go in there pointing my fingers and stuff like that. I'm just going to maybe share in passing. Listen, listen to what Jesus did for me last week. Listen to what happened in my life. I prayed I needed this and God came through. Having a relationship with people that maybe aren't like us and talking about what Jesus it, it, it did for you, it piques their interest. And eventually they're going to ask more questions about Jesus if they see, oh, wow, this Jesus thing is working in, in her life. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the way I, of course, I can do an invitation from a stage and all that kind of stuff. But in my daily life, it's very relational. No, I love that. I love it. It's interesting how what you said, you know, a little bit earlier when you're talking about people and what they assume about, they hear a Christian, they think morality, they think, I know what you think about politics. I know what you think about sex before marriage. I know what you think about this X, Y, Z. They think they, they think they know, you know, who you are. And I find it really interesting because I, you know, I don't cuss and it's a preference thing, but, um, when people mention it, even after years of being friends, they'll say, well, you know, I, you would never say that because I know you don't cuss or they'll cuss around me and they'll say, oh, well, I know you don't, but blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? I just don't need to, it's not a, I'm not judging you. You can say whatever you want. I said, I just don't need it. And then same thing. I stopped drinking when I was 22, which was 10 years ago. And if people say, Oh, let's go get a drink or here's some wine, you know, they try to give it to me. And I'm like, Oh no, it's okay. You know, I've, I'm 10 years sober, you know, I'm good. And, and like, they'll be like, Oh, like they'll either think one, I had a problem or two, they'll think I'm like judging them for them, them drinking. And I'm like, Oh no, it's good. I'm just, I don't need it. I'm okay. I'm yeah. gonna have, you know, fine. I, I don't need it. And to them, they're like, oh, that's different than them thinking, oh, it's not a rule that she lives by. It's a, you know, I'm, I don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It changes the game. I mean, I think redefining this evangelical, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have left the church. I just got a study, a study sent to me, a Barna study sent to me yesterday. And I was, um, mm-hmm. you know, about how many people have exited the church and, you know, I have to say, I think, I think it's because there is lack of understanding of how to evangelize. You know, we've also, we've, we've all kind of been like, um, think we need to know all these verses and stuff. And really, we just need to know what has God done for us and share that. And it makes it mm. a lot less weird, you know, when we're talking mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. And do you think those people that have left the church are genuine believers? Or do you think there are people that either culturally were there or maybe, maybe just were kind of seeking it out and deciding, Oh, I think I'm going to go with the stream of culture instead of against the stream of culture with Christianity. I think, <laughs> I think all the above. I think some of them yeah. maybe never had a true conversion to Christ. I also think a lot of people have been hurt by the church. Um, mm-hmm. myself included. I was kicked out of my dad's church when I was 22 years old. That'll oh leave my a mark. Gosh. Oh my um, gosh. So leave I, was a mark. I was kicked out of my dad's church when I was 22. And I remember sitting in the staff meeting where they were deciding to church discipline me, which is, is uh, according to Matthew 18. And I remember sitting there and I had just gotten saved. Um, and I, 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 I was hearing what they were saying, but it wasn't like agreeing with my spirit. I went and got my car and I knew that they were going to kick me out of the church because I was in an abusive marriage. I ended up filing for divorce and they were going to discipline the divorce, not the abuse. And I sat in my car and drove home knowing what they were going to do. And I thought to myself, this is not the Jesus that I just met. This is not the Jesus I just met. 
So we've got a lot of people that are leaving the church because of wounds like that or a version of that. They're leaving because they can't agree with how humanity has, has dealt with things in their life and they don't they don't see how Jesus could approve of some of those things and um so there we've got a lot of church hurt going on that's why people are leaving they're leaving because they're not true um uh converts or they are following the culture and you know depending on where you live culture says very different things Mm. um and so they're they're following along because this seems like the right way to go so yeah that's true I would say all of the above the church hurt is, it's a real thing. And, you yes. know, I, I like to serve in this ministry called alpha, which invites unchurched people into a gathering hospitality place where they spend time with one another and watch videos coming from the Christian perspective, but then share their own beliefs through yeah. conversation. And it's great. But, um, you know, I, I learned that church hurt, you know, some people 10 years later after experiencing something like that, they'll, they'll come back around if they, if they really are, you know, listening to the call and seeking again, but there has to be a point where for us, we come from a, a, a member of the body and we go, I'm sorry that you experienced yes. that. And it has to be a yes. genuine apology because that's not what God wanted for people to experience in his church. A hundred percent. I can't tell you, Andrea, how many people I've looked dead in the eyes and said, on behalf of the church, I am so sorry. On behalf of the church, you were wounded and I am acknowledging that pain. And you, g- girl, I, I'll look up. Sometimes I don't even look at them because I, I want to remain strong. I'm a crier. And I'll look at them in their, uh, I'll look up and, and there's just streams of tears coming down their face. Because when you, as, as a church, when you wound someone, um, you know, it's, it's personal. I mean, you can't, you yeah, literally can't personal. separate it. It is your soul that you're, that you're speaking to and that you're, you're messing with. And so those apologies do go a long way. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is personal. And, you know, even when you think about forgiveness or, you know, even the practices that we're called to in the life of Christ, you know, brings us to going, okay, well, how do I walk away from being damaged or wounded or hurt and and still trust God again without, you know, being disappointed in his, in his people, you know, there is a, there's a process. And for some people it's a long process, but you know, we have to be able to support them. Like you're saying, like, you're a feeler. You're like, Hey, I might cry, but like, I'm going to be in this with you. I'm not just going to speak about it. And then on stage and then go, Oh, that's too bad. Did you hear what I said on stage? You're like, no, Mm -hmm. I want to actually face you and be personal with this issue you're facing. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love one of my favorite things when I go and speak is the, is uh, standing at the table in the back afterwards. Um, and just hearing the stories because everyone, this is what we're not understanding in our culture and our church culture everyone wants to be heard. Yes. They just want you to stand there and receive what they're saying. You look at Jesus. What did he do? He sat down and he would ask people, what can I do for you? He would listen to their stories. He would listen to the things that, that they're, they're scared of. He would listen to their questions. And I think we've, we've done this in the church. Um, we know everything. <laughs> so we, you don't need to be heard. You don't, you don't, we want to tell you rather than listening to what you Oh my through. gosh. Don't and even that, get me started. <laughs> that is such a barrier between them and a relationship with Jesus because we all want to be heard. We all want someone to look at us and say, 
I'm, I, I, I hate that that's your past, but Jesus can give you a different future. And um, it's, it's a big barrier, uh, not listening to what people are actually going through. Jesus can give you a different future. It's so good. Yes. And, and that's said with belief too, that things will change, you know, giving your life to Christ, that it doesn't stay stagnant, that the gospel actually is full of power and hearing it and accepting it changes your life. And I, I feel like so many people either haven't experienced that. So they can't even relate to those words or they've, they've seen it, but they, you know, they don't really believe that, you know, that, that it's, that it's, that it will change them to the extent that it can. And I, and I, and I wish that everyone could experience and then everybody would be, you know, I mean, just on fire for Jesus. And it's, it's hard when I look at transformation, I want it for everybody. Well, I'm telling you, I found the Lord at three o'clock in the morning in an abusive marriage as a pastor's daughter contemplating suicide. PK. Oh my goodness. I was a pastor. I'm still a pastor's kid. He's still a pastor. You can't, you can't Um, leave it. No. And, and, you know, I thought, I was a believer since I was 11 years old because I had walked the aisle. I had got baptized, all the things, but it was in my greatest need when I was contemplating suicide and really thinking, how am I going to get out of this marriage um, that the Holy Spirit met me? And it was a love and an acceptance that I have never, I have never, I have, I will never know on this side of heaven. Mm. And it, it drastically changed my life because I realized that he didn't, the, the spirit didn't come at me with judgment. He came at me with grace. And when we have an experience like that, I'm telling you what, I mean, it does change our lives and it changes our lives forever. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. No, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, you guys, Autumn has four kids. She, she has four kids and somehow, you know, I'd like to transfer into her motherhood. She has, you know, not only not come consumed with her kids enough to not like be able to kind of still have her own person and be able to, you know, accomplish like all this stuff, right. A lot of accolades here, but like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you love your kids and, and tend to their needs and, and not just go, okay, I'm just in the background and I'm just going to disappear because I have no energy left. Like, how are you able to do both? (laughs) Well, I've adopted the mindset that loving my kids is living a life of faith. If my kids can see me living a life of faith, what greater love is there for your kids? Um, I I believe that when God created me, he didn't create me with just one purpose. He created me with multiple purposes. Um, And, you know, it says in Colossians, in him, in Christ, all things hold together. So um, when I look at my life, Christ, if, if you're looking at a wheel, so to speak, Christ is the center of my wheel. And I have lots of little spokes coming out my wheel. Um, and I listen to the spirit of God that holds everything in my life together. I do not believe I was created just for one purpose. I believe I am a multifaceted person that God wants to use in many different ways. Four of them are my children. Of course, my husband, the books, the ministry, speaking, all of those things are spokes on the wheel. And so in order to hold all things together, I listen to the center of my wheel. Who needs my time right this second? And um, 
I'll say in the last year, it's been my kids that I, I have been very, very intentional about every little thing with them because they're all in such vulnerable ages and stages in their lives. Um, and, and they're always going to be under Christ and my husband, my, my priority. Um, but I think we get it wrong. I do believe that women can have it all. I believe that God has created us such that we can have careers, we can have kids, we can have marriages, we can have, um, you know, ministry callings and stuff like that. And all of them be successful. If we don't try to white knuckle it and control it. We have, this is why a relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. Because when you listen to the Holy Spirit, he tells you when to act on what. And what I mean by that is a couple of days ago, I felt I was working. Um, and I work every day, I work full time. Um, but I was working and my daughter sent me a text message and she said, my belly is growling. And the spirit of God told me, do something special for her. She texted me back. I, I, uh, she texted me, my belly is growling. I said, what do you need? She said, can you bring me lunch to school or are you too busy? I texted oh her back. Oh my gosh, that said, makes me want to cry. That, that makes said, me want to cry. I know, I hated that text, but I said, I am never too busy for you. I put her a little, she likes Santa. She likes like, she likes Tocito chips. She likes all of this stuff. I put all of her favorite things in a lunchbox and took it to school right that second. And when I picked her up from school, she was like crying because she was so excited about, about, she, she, she just felt special that day. And as women, as we navigate all, as I navigate all the things in my life, I am constantly listening. Spirit, who needs me today? Who, what, what do I need to do on behalf of you today? And the spirit is not going to let you, um, you know, fail in your priorities. He knows the same spirit lives in my kids. So he knows how I need to minister to them and serve them on a regular basis. It is possible as long as we listen to the spirit of the Lord, which is the center of my wheel. Amen. How do you put God in the center? I don't have a choice. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. When I found the Lord and I had a very true conversion, um, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine success. I didn't want the world's success anymore. I wanted to live a life of miracles. I wanted him to put my life back together out of a really, really rough divorce. I wanted him to lead my life because if the God of the Bible was the God that was living in me, I knew that he could. So I started single. When I met my husband, I told him, listen, you're going to be number two. You are not going to be number one. I'm just telling you. Hey, it, it ain't happening. And he loved that. And I thought it would, it would, it, he would, he would turn around and run in the opposite direction, but he loved it. And we have literally built our life on the foundation and the principles of scripture. So I am not going back now. He has always been the center since my conversion um, to Christ. And, um, you know, I, there's no other option for me. It's like Peter. When Jesus looked at Peter and he said, he said, what are you doing? Uh, um, and Peter looked at him. I think it's in Matthew. And he said, I'm following you. And he said, why? He said, well, where else would I go? Where else would I go? I don't have plan B. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have plan A. And if I am going to actually live and experience everything that God has for me, then God must be my center. Amen. Amen. I love that. Where else would I go? You don't, you don't have a choice. You're not going anywhere now. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Well, I don't know where I would go. You know? <laughs> Right, right. No, I I love that. That's so deep. And it actually shows that personal side of um, just believing that once you're chosen, you can't be unchosen by God, you know, that he has that that perfect relationship and um, that it's not going to give up on us. And it's also not going to crumble like so many things in our lives can. I mean, we can't put our faith in our job, where we live, our, like you're saying, our relationships, it's just not a permanence, a sense of permanence, but our relationship with the Lord is. And so yes. it's safe. It's a safe place to put our identity in. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, back to the kids thing, they, my kids, God knows what kids you need. <laughs> God knows who to give you as children. Okay. Um, all, all of my kids are so glad that I do what I do. And all of my kids see and are so excited when someone meets us at, at, you know, the Chick-fil-A or something, they see someone come in and they're like, oh my goodness, I listened to your podcast or, oh my goodness, I watched your, or I read your book or whatever. It inspires them as well. So mm-hmm. as I'm following the Lord in multiple facets of my life, God knows that these kids need to see what's happening in my life to spur them on and to stir their faith. It's amazing. That's so good. And so I would love for you to share more about your story with adoption. I, I know that you're an advocate and that you have two adopted children. And um, you know, what was that, what was that journey like for you? And why do you tell others that they would, you know, be blessed by it? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I'm I'm like a crazy advocate for adoption. I'm an I would be an activist for adoption, probably. <laughs> Um, an adoption I, activist. I don't, oh, I, don't, let's go. I don't know why everyone doesn't do it. I, I really don't. I really don't. But that's me. So um, when I was 18 years old, I, um, I saw a family who adopted a child and it changed my life forever. Um, I saw, I knew the situation of the child. And when the family adopted the child, um, I knew in that moment, this, I'm going to do this one day. Um, when I met my second husband, Eddie, we've been married 17 years as of last week. Um, but when I met him, you know, we, we talked about adoption. He was open to it, but, um, not as he, he was very, it was like, okay, how, how's this going to go? Should we try to have our own biological kids first? And we did, we have two bio kids. Um, but we, we really, I submitted the timing of our adoption to the Lord. And Eddie came home one day, he'd been at a men's conference. And he said, this is, I think, about seven or eight years into our marriage. He said, um, we need to adopt. It's time. Like, I feel like God is saying the time is now. So I, God had told me, you're going to adopt. But the timing I left up to him because, listen, we got to be on the same page here. And I was not about to nag him. I don't got time to nag. Um, so he came into me and he said that I had a dream. I was holding a little girl's hand. She was African-American. She was a toddler. Um, and I believe that God is telling me this, this, this is the time. And so the next day I was signed up with an agency. Um, and we were actually matched about eight year, eight months into our journey with, um, identical twin girls. 
Um, and we were very wow. excited about that. We were like, um, you know, kind of shocked that we would get identical twin girls, but the spirit of God was telling me, um, something's wrong. So I called the adoption agency and through long story short, we found out that this woman was scamming us and she was not pregnant at all. And she was falsifying all of the doctor's like papers and tests and all that oh, kind of stuff. Oh my goodness. Yes. What? Yes. Yes. It was a horrible, horrible situation. It was very hurtful. It was like, you know, the ultimate betrayal. Um, because here my husband wow. and I and my two bio kids were expecting twin girls that were to be born in March of the next year. And, but that's why you got to listen to the spirit. The spirit said, there's something wrong. I had a, a, an anxiousness in me about this match, but it opened our hearts to two. It did a lot to me, but it opened our hearts to two. We were only going to adopt one. And I remember it was in November of the next year. Um, we were, we like, we were being passed by, by everyone. I'm like, what's wrong with us? How come no one wants to match with us? You know, we're a nice family or whatever. Um, but in November of the next year, I was watching the Today Show and I saw someone sing a, a song and I felt like the spirit of God told me, you're waiting on a girl. You need to be open to a boy. And I told, called my husband and I said, we got, we have to be open to a boy as well as a girl. And in that February, we got a call on February 18th. Um, and it was, a, there was an emergency baby. A mom had just walked in the adoption agency. And she said, um, they called us and they said, there's an emergency baby. It's a little boy. He's due in two days. Will you take him? And we thought, yes, of course, we'll take him. We didn't even talk about it. I didn't even look at my husband. I said, yes, we'll take him. And the next day, after we had said yes to a boy, the adoption agency called us back and said, we know that yesterday you said yes to a boy, and he's due in two days. But today, a mom of a little girl has chosen you as well. Would you take this little girl as well? Oh my well? gosh, I can't with this story. Literally, you can't do this to a mom of a five-month-old. You can't. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Oh my god! It gosh. was a miracle. It was a miracle. And so we, like, my husband and I, we didn't even look at each other. I was on the phone and I was like, yes, we'll take this girl too. So we, so Moses was born February 20th and Haven was born April 25th. <clears throat> But I know that God sent us through like this horrible season of betrayal with these twins that weren't actually a thing to open our hearts to adopt two children because God knew they needed to be in our family. And, um, you know, of course now they're six and they're, you know, all about kindergarten and football and cheerleading and, you know, the whole thing. So um, I believe that if God has put a desire in you to adopt, there's a baby on the other side of that desire. I waited 18 years to adopt kids, 18. And um, that desire never left. We, uh, Satan wants us, adoption is God's idea, so Satan's going to be against it. Um, he wants to put fear in us. He wants to put up barriers like financial, you know, all these different things to keep us from adoption. And, um, you know, we, we see very clearly Jesus was adopted by Joseph. Um, we see very clearly adoption. We are adopted. We are children, adopted children of God. So we see it displayed so beautifully in the scripture. But I believe if the church would just step up 
And everyone that God has put a desire to adopt actually followed through with it. We would not have, I believe by faith, we would not have one baby in foster care. Um, I think it would, I think it would be completely eradicated. Um, But Satan's got in with a lot of fear and, and things like that barriers to keep people from it. Wow. That is so amazing to hear your story and what God did to prepare you for the kids that you got. Yes. Yes. I don't think we would have taken, we were not, our hearts were not, it's not that they weren't open. They just weren't prepared for two more. When I work, my husband worked, we just, God needed to do something in our hearts to sort of expand them. And he did a miracle. I remember telling the Lord, I was reading in Isaiah when God says, instead of your shame, I will give you a double portion. Um, and I remember thinking, I feel so upset because these, these, this woman betrayed us by telling us she was adopted with identical twins. I felt so betrayed. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to restore those babies back to you. And he did that exact thing. Wow. And, and the, the fact that this story is now getting to be told to the actual kids that you adopted. And it's like, yeah. Hey, we didn't have this idea. This was God's idea. This was, yes. I didn't write this story. Me, Autumn, I couldn't have come up with this. I just want a little girl, but look at why I have both of you, you know? Yes. Yes. They know. And they, now they don't understand the whole, every in and out of their story yet. They're only six, but they do know that they were handpicked by God for our family and, and, and they own it. Like they own it. I was handpicked by God. You know, they, they, they know how special, um, how special it is that we are together because it's a miracle that we are. That's amazing. You know, I have to admit this to you. And just because I, I would ask you this offline afterwards, but I'm going to ask you right now on the podcast, but you know, I have always felt called to adoption. So, you know, got it. Like even allowing you and I to meet up and connect and talk like this. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Lord, is this just you talking again? Like, I can't, you know, I can't even think about like, how do I keep a five month old alive and still in be interested in having more? I just, I can't <laughs> picture it, yeah. but I know that it's a learned thing and you can do it all. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I actually always thought it would come through the form of foster care through adoption. And I, I, I'd never considered really like what you're saying, like going through an, an adoption agency and finding a match. I know that's another route. Um, I don't know what, you know, it would look like for us, but you know, we have limitations of space here in New York city. I've lived in the yes. same apart, one bedroom apartment for five years, Pete and I, uh, my husband, and we've also been like, Oh, you know, we're very like, I guess, I guess you would just say like glasses, half full. We're like, Oh, we could get a Murphy bed, put it in our living room. The kids could have our bedroom. We'll do it. Like we're literally finding like unreasonable, you know, like ways that we could manage like a a crazy situation. If we had to, instead of just thinking, well, when are we going to move out of the city and get a house or get a three bedroom apartment, things like that. So how would I, how would one person, you know, um, that wants to follow in the footsteps of adopting or foster care to adopting, how would you, you know, pray into that, um, deciding, God, what do you want to do in my life? And, and, and how am I going to find opportunities in either way? Um, I, I would pray about it a lot. Uh, okay. I think one of the things God knew who and when Moses and Haven would be created. And when we, he knew the timing of it all. And when we would be ready to adopt. Um, I will tell you, I, am going to go back to the spirit of God. This is why we've got to listen to him. I was flying from, uh, um, speaking engagement. It was in October, the year before we got the babies and we lived in a house 
that um, was a beautiful house. I mean, I, I was very, I actually prayed for the house that we were living in. It was an answer to prayer. But I remember landing in Dallas and I remember God telling me, you need to build a bigger house. This is in October. We adopted the babies in February and April of the next year. You need to build a bigger house. I landed from a speaking engagement. I was a long one too. I had been gone for like, you know, six days or something, which I don't like to do, but I, but I will do if I feel like God's leading me that way. Eddie picked me up from the airport, my husband, and um, I said, you know what? I know you're going to sound crazy. This is going to sound crazy, but we need to build a bigger house. And he looked at me like, what? Our house is fine. Um, so we went, we obeyed, we found a house, we started building a bigger house. And we had no idea that God was going to give us two babies instead of one. So I would say to anyone that is even thinking about adoption, God will tell you and he will direct you. He calls himself, uh, the spirit calls himself the great counselor. He is our counselor. So as we are looking for counsel, for especially adoption, um, God will lead you. He will guide you. He will put you and your husband on the same page. It will be a peace in your spirit that you need to follow. And he will, if it's a Murphy bed, listen, it's a Murphy bed in New York City. <laughs> if it's, you know, a new house, like what we did, we still live in the house that we built, um, not even knowing that we were going to adopt two kids. That guidance of the Holy Spirit is there as our greatest asset in the Christian life, uh, apart from salvation. We need to utilize it. Um, but very practically, uh, we I knew that I wanted to go through an adoption agency. Um, I love foster. I've got lots of friends that have fostered to adopt. Um, I, I would say if someone is interested in adoption as far as foster care, take a class. Go enroll in the class. They will teach you. They will tell you. They will, they will inform you on what's coming. My husband and I didn't necessarily need that because we know God had already said, we want, I want you to adopt. And we already had two kids. So we were, we were like, we were already in it. But those would be some practical uh, steps I would take. But don't discount the leadership and the counsel of the spirit of God in your life. He wants children to be adopted as well, okay? Uh, just like Jesus was adopted, he wants children to be adopted as well. So I would listen, pray, fast, um, you know, and ask the Lord to speak. Wow, thank you so much. That's great advice, you guys. Um, I'm sure that no matter where you are in your life, that you can relate to one or 10 things that Autumn has said today. So there's definitely going to be some some big takeaways. So Autumn, thank you for coming on. And where can where can everybody reach you? Where can they follow you? You know, if they if they're wanting to look for a specific thing you talked about today, where can they get a hold of you? You can go to my website, autumnmiles.com. We have a, a new podcast that comes out every single week, Instagram, Facebook. I don't do Twitter. I think they need Jesus over there. We need to evangelize Twitter. Um, but uh, definitely go to the website and you can find out everything that we're doing. But um, yeah, thank you for having me, Andrea. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're my new BFF. <laughs> yes, of course we are. <laughs> All right. See you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Andrea. We are a women's program that helps build a daily routine around Bible study, prayer, and fun fitness workouts. Get a month free with code EmbracePodcast.